Today's Old Testament reading is Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse six to nine. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your ancestors that He brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God; He is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him. And keep his commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Today's <clears throat> today's New Testament reading is First John chapter two verse twenty-eight to First John chapter three verse three. And now, dear children, continue in Him, so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to each one of you who are here.、Um, In person, as well as to all of those who have joined us with or on Zoom, thank you for making that effort. Actually, this week I got a beautiful little <clears throat> excuse me note from one of our friends in、uh, Wisconsin. Her, her husband had just passed, and she wrote to inform us. But、um, every week they were joining us on Zoom. And that was a great encouragement to us to see that happening. So, for all of you who have made that effort, we want to say thank you. But also, we would like to say that as God then gives opportunity,、uh, you know, things lessen and restrictions maybe become easier. We don't know yet how that will work. But should that happen, I just want to say, in name of the church, we miss you. And、uh, we'd love to welcome you back when you feel that's appropriate or is possible,、uh, because it's a special thing to be together. Now, this morning I want to continue our、uh, study from the book of First John, and、uh, we had those scriptures or those verses read to us just in the last moment here. And First John, as he writes, he writes differently, as I've said several times, much differently than Paul, who writes kind of in a logical flow of one plus one equal two and onward. 
John is more of a circular thinker, bringing us back to the same point or truth again and again, but it's like a drill that goes deeper and deeper and deeper, emphasizing the same truths. And in his book, many commentators, as you read their thoughts about 1 John, uh, several will recognize the idea that some of the things he comes back to again and again, one of those is we who are God's children, as we're going to talk about today, that we need to be living a life that is righteous or like God, a godly life. And we've already studied in chapter 1 the question of if we are going to walk in the light as God is in the light. And then if we are going to not only walk in God's light, but are we going to walk the way that Jesus did? So both where we walk determines how righteous we are going to be. Do we walk, understand, and live in the truth of God? And then it's not only where we walk, but how. Because what we really have inside, of course, always is expressed by how we live and what we do. And so his challenge to us there is to walk like Jesus did. And then it's not only righteousness and to be righteous, but then it's love. Remember he said, now everybody who is of God loves our brothers. Not a simple task, is it? But that is the requiring then the power and the presence of God within us to actually express itself. Not a beautiful concept, the love of God expressing itself through you and through me as we respond to people as maybe sometimes people we find difficult or people that we might have had uh, different meanings or we've agreed to disagree or family or whomever. But eventually we see the working of God's spirit in us until we begin to love and appreciate and reach out for them. So he talks about loving the brothers. And then he also talks about the other side. He says, we then learn not to love the world. In other words, God teaches us how to love those in the family of God. But God also teaches us how to say no. Isn't it amazing? I remember before we had children and just after the first child was born, reading several books about raising children. And every one of them said, when your child reaches the age of two, they will have a new word in their vocabulary. And that word is no. And of course, being a new father, but thinking I knew more than anyone else, I said, no, 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 that won't happen. Do you know what happened when child two, one got to age two? No. Will you do this? No. Will you do this? No. Beautiful person, wonderful lady she's grown up to be. You know what happened when child two became that age? No. Child three? No. Child four? Smile big, but no. If we learn that at such an early age, can I ask you the question? Why have not we learned to say spiritually no to those things that are non-godly, to those things which pull us away from the very presence of God? 
Because it's only as we learn to say no that we can also then learn to say yes to God and to those things that are from God. And so John begins to talk about that, that the things that we are, can do in our life to be righteous, but also the way we learn how to love, to say yes to certain things, to say no to others. And the third thing he says is righteousness, love. And the third thing is then he repeats again and again what we believe is incredibly important. Last week we talked about what we believe about Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. Anything that denies that he is God, that denies that he is the only way to salvation, the only way and entrance into the kingdom of God, John describes that as antichrist. Against it. Today we're going to not only look at what we believe about Christ and Jesus, but what we believe about being a child or children of God. So read with me again. There in verse 28 as we began, it says, And now, little children, either remain in him or abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in the shame of his coming. In these first verses, John's saying several things to us about our relationship with God as his people. And one is, is that we are to continue in him or we are to remain in him. What does that look like? I, I think one of the things that probably most describes it as John writes in his gospel, John chapter 15, Jesus describes to his disciples how to abide or how to remain in him. Remember, he uses, as you remain in me, and I remain in you, or I abide in you, and you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. He uses the example of a grapevine and the branches. The idea is, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And he or she who remains in me bears much fruit. It's like that moment Oh, it's so beautiful when you walk outside. You see the buds of the trees just like trying to express themselves and, and burst into some type of foliage. And they're not quite there yet, but you can see they're anticipating it. If trees groan, this is the moment they groan because they want to come out. But what Jesus says, you see, if you're in the vine, then that... You know, like right now, the sap is coming up the tree from the root through the stalk. What is that in English? Anyway, you know what I mean? Up through the trunk. And then it comes up not only there, but then it comes into the branches, and eventually we bear fruit. My wife had the hobby in Wisconsin of making maple syrup. I would go out and bring it in, the sap, and she would work and make syrup out of it. But it's only in that certain time of the year when the sap comes up. And then it freezes and it goes down and it comes up. That what is happening is what Jesus describes. Is if you're in me and I'm in you, then the very life of God comes into you. And that's where we have the strength to bear the fruit of God's spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith. And others can come and enjoy a spiritual meal. How long has it been since someone has come to us 
and receive love and joy and peace or long-suffering. It's only as we are in him and he is in us that the very presence and life of God flows into us and gives us that strength. And John is saying, remain there in that position. And as we're there, certain things are going to happen with us. I do remember one time in Vienna, we had moved into a small little house, a two-room house, that had been built by Germans, Deutsche Volk, who had come back out of one of the countries after World War II and basically got off the bus and they said, this is your area in Vienna, build. And they did. And in the backyard, had been there for over 25 years and were six grapevines, the Weinstock. And I remember after I was there the first year, the winter and the spring came and I said, I will do something really kind for my landlord. I will go and prune his grapevines for him. Those of you who just groaned understand what that meant. So I went back and went snip, 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 snip. Beautiful, put all of the branches in the trash. And the next morning, my landlord, Herr Lenz, came. That time I didn't speak so much German. And I learned a new German phrase. He stood in front of our door, and the redness moved from his shoulders up his neck into his face. And he sat there and he said, Wer hat den Reben geschnitten? Uh-huh. You see, what I learned is, for 25 years, he knew every grapevine. And he knew exactly where to prune it so that it would bear more. And there were certain vines there that would grow two or three bunches of grapes, and he knew each one. And Jesus says, you abide in me. And I abide in you and the very power and life of God comes into you. But we have a Father in heaven who loves us. And he sees what in our life needs to be that we might bear more fruit. And it's an amazing truth. And so he says, abide in that. But then the next thing he says is we know that he is righteous. We talked about that last week. We won't say much more now. But he is righteous. He says we know that about Jesus. One, that we can abide in him. And two, he is coming back. We know that he's coming back. And if he's coming back, how then do we live our lives today in the reality that he is going to return? And so he says in that, then we abide in him and also we know he is righteous. Righteousness of God, that holiness of God that he deals with sin. He does not push it under the rug, so to speak, but he is also a God of love. And those things come together in his righteousness, the way he deals with us. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. For for it is the power of God to salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. But then he goes on and says, in it, the very righteousness, the holiness of God, the dealing with sin, where he sends his son and God himself in the person of Jesus Christ pays the price. And the love of God come together. And then he goes on and says, and we know that he is righteous and everyone 
who, is, who does righteousness or practice righteousness, who has an ongoing lifestyle of doing the things that are right, the things that are godly things, we know that that person, he says, is born of God. And I would like to just pause here for a moment and think with you together, what does it mean to be born in him? Because he's making a distinction. And we'll find that the Bible is going to make a distinction. You know, there is this concept of all. There is a universal father and there's a universal childhood of people. And there is this sense in creation. Every man, woman, and child is in the image of God. And has been given by God an eternal soul. But at the same time, the Bible very clearly makes a great difference between those who are like that type of child in creation and those who are that type of living relationship children of God who have eternal life in them. Jesus makes that point in John chapter 8, verse 44, when discussing with people and they have come and said, but we are of our Father. And he turns to them and he says, you are not of the Father of God. You are your Father evil. Evil children. God's children. The Bible makes a huge difference. It could be what uh, Jesus says when he talks to Nicodemus. He says this in John chapter Three as well, doesn't he? You see, there's this difference that is there. It's a very significant difference, actually, that is made between those who know him and those who don't. In Ephesians, let me just read that for you. In Ephesians chapter 2, it goes there and talks to us about this very truth. In Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, bringing verse 1, it says, And you who were lost in your darkness and in that kingdom. He says, so that is one place. He says, but God, rich in his mercy, boom. There's a difference. Those who are lost and those who are in Christ. But then in verse 12, listen to what he says. Remember that you, that that time were separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world there. And then this but, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Get it? You were there. And now you're here as a true child of God. How do we get from here lost, separate, no hope to here, a child of God? The answer is the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's just like what he said then, isn't it? Well, how do we get there? Well, listen to what Jesus says to Nicodemus. And now there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. So what he's saying is, I've seen your miracles. I've heard your teaching. I've watched your life. And everything that I see from the miracles 
to the teaching, to the life, is telling me that you are from God. Listen to his answer that Jesus gives. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember John, is he right? And those who are born of him. And Jesus uses that same phrase. And of course, Nicodemus, hearing that odd terminology, replies and says to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water, the physical, and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he explains in the next verse, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel when I say to you, you must be born again. So John isn't taking us anywhere strange this morning. He's not talking about something that isn't known within Christianity. But he is bringing us back to the very lesson that Jesus taught about being born of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means, I think, for us, let me just read for you in this, as we look at that in Romans chapter 8, what does it mean? Well, it means this. You, however are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. Remember the comparison Jesus said? Either of the flesh, but now you must be born of the Spirit. You are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And then it goes on a few verses further in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons or the children of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. God. The Bible is just filled with this again and again and again. You move from here to become a child of God by being born again through the blood of Jesus Christ. How or what happens or how in the world does God do that? Well, Paul describes that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and he says, Behold, if any person is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old is gone. And the new has come. The way God does that, he talks, is to make a creation. The old is gone. That guilt is gone. That is forgiveness. And then he makes us a new creation and puts his spirit in us, as it said in Romans chapter 8, where our spirit recognizes that God has chosen us and God has done his work in our life and in the depth of our heart and soul we cry out father wow that's how God does it how we do it is very simply in Romans chapter 10 if you confess with your mouth 
and believe in your heart. What does he say? If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And then in verse 10, he explains it. He says, because in our heart one believes to justification. We believe. What does it say? That God raised him from the dead. In other words, we understand God's spirit is shown to our heart that it's true. Jesus took my place. And we believe in our heart. And God credits that to us. Just, it means justified. That's like a term coming out of the courtroom saying the judge has said, I've examined all the evidence. And he's not saying that we're not guilty. He's saying, he's saying I am taking away your guilt because I placed it on the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only do we believe in our hearts, but we confess with our mouths. In other words, it's not just something we cognitively know but it's something that we have accepted and declared with our lives and hearts, minds, souls. Yes, that's where I stand. Now, he says that. That means we have become children of God by being born of him. Let me just say before we look at the last verses, if you're seated here today and you do not know that you have actually been born of God, then I would just suggest, give us a call. So let's sit down and talk through it. Or come, and there'll be people who would love to talk with you after the service and pray. It's a key feature. Because we do not know where life will take us in the next moments. Anyway, but then he goes on, he says, Now see what kind of love the Father has given us that we would be called children of God. And so we are. Do you know the way he, notice the way he has repeated himself again. We are the children of God, and that's what we are. It's as if all of a sudden it's come real in his life, and he realizes that. Now he says, now note the type of love with which he has given us, or he has put in us, that we would be called the sons of children of God. It's not, sometimes we think, well, sure, he's loved us. He sent Jesus in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Here is, in is the love of God demonstrated that while we we're yet sinners, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. But here John is talking about this other love of God that we as the children of God have experienced where it says that God has put his love in us, that new creation, that reality of God, that he then calls us his children. So this is amazing love. It reminds me, once we lived for a short time in that more Middle East part of the world, one of the, one of the traditions that I found was very beautiful is if people were living maybe outdoors and a child was born that the father then would be given the child and the father would take the child and hold the child up like this if they were born in a tent or something, hold it outside, and then it would cry out like I would say, and this is Timothy, the son of Dennis, presenting him to God. Oh, couldn't you see God Almighty? Oh, this is my son. This is my daughter. God who loves us. And John is saying, oh, the depth, the greatness of the love of God that has claimed us to be his children. Unashamedly, just as he said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is saying, and I am the father of everyone in IPC who believe. Wow. 
Sorry if I get excited. Isn't that worth getting excited about? You know, God loves you so much. He is your father, and he's unashamedly our father. And John has to pause for a moment and say, by the way, that's really true. With all my messiness, with everything that's me, he loves me. And he has called me his child. He says, because we are. And in the original language, that's a takeoff from I am. I am. You are. We are because God is. And then it says that truth number two is that a child of God, it says in the next verse, or the finishing of that verse, for the reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Once again, John brings that contrast, that comparison, a child of God here and the world here. It isn't being judgmental. It isn't being exclusive in that sense. It isn't rejecting. No, 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 no. But it's making very clear because if we do not know the clarity of what is here, the Son of God, the children of God, and what is not the children of God, we will tend to somewhere just wander in the between. And the great loving clarity that John gives us is right there. And then he goes on and says the next, things, next thing there in the following verse, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we will know that, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. John is saying to us, he is coming back in verse 28, when he appears. And now he's saying again, when he appears, there, are, there is that coming future moment for every child of God, everyone who knows him, where he says, and you will not be ashamed. You will be, take that moment with courage and you'll take that moment with, with confidence because we know that he is real and he is in us and he has, we have experienced eternal life. Not just that unending period of time, but where the very eternal life of God is in us. Jesus says, and you and me and I and you and the very spirit of God has entered us. And he goes on there and he says, but that's not all. There is coming a day when we will be like him. Paul writes about that. He says, and there will be a trumpet blow and those who are still are dead will rise and those who are still alive will come up. And then in another place he talks about, and he says, and this mortal body, should we still be alive, will take on immortality and we will become like him. Part of eternal life. Isn't that amazing? Wow. I remember one of the great theological, theological questions we had, we're not very sharp in theology class, so we had to do something to get the professor's attention. Remember when he was talking to us about Jesus after the resurrection, eating bread and fish with the disciples. He'd come into the room, did not need to open a window, did not need to open a door, just appeared. Part of the resurrected body. So we had a great discussion. He ate fish and he ate bread. Now he can go through the wall without opening the door, but what about the fish? What about the bread? We thought we had the professor captured. And he turned to us, and i never forget, he said, if God is great enough that he can raise from the dead and he can come without opening a door, 
without opening a window, and he is there with a resurrected body. Feel me, touch me, see I am alive. He can certainly has the power to take the bread and fish with him. Yes. And so we come to this. We are children of God today. Now. But God has not yet shown us what we will be like. But we'll be like him to live for eternity. So just in closing, let me say this. This is the hope we have. He says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, because we know he's coming back, because we know we are a child of God and have God living in us, we live our life in the reality of what our future is going to be with God. And that gives us so much hope and so much encouragement. And he says, we are born of God. We have a now and we have a future and we hope in him. And he abides in us and we abide in him. And you might say today, well, what kind of love could that be that would accept me just as I am? When we were first married, actually I came into missions thinking I would stay two months, stayed five years, came with a backpack of clothes, that's all I owned, went back five years later with two suitcases and one wife. The wife being the best, of course. We traveled across the states in a bus, and I had not seen my mother for five years. She had sold the farm, moved to town with my younger brother. In five years, I had not seen her. I stood in front of her door, pushed the doorbell, and I stood a little bit in front because I thought certainly mom is going to want to see her son she hasn't seen for five years. She opened the door. She saw Lois. She saw me. She literally smaller than me, grabbed me, moved me over here, boom, and hugged her. I couldn't understand. It's me. It's your boy. Five years. Then we went and visited actually someone who lived in another state. And we came to the door. I pushed the buzzer. I hadn't seen them for almost uh, three years. And we opened the door. There was Lois. There was I. And I was there waiting. And the lady of the house grabbed me. And she packed me over there. And she hugged Lois. And afterwards, I was very perplexed, and I turned to her, Yvonne, and I said, Yvonne, why is that? My mother did the same thing. You know me. You do not know her. Why did you love her? And I remember one of the things that she said to me I've never forgotten in life. She said, first, Denny, you're dumb. But then she said, do not you know that we love you? And if we love you, we will certainly love your." The Father loves the Son. And there comes a day when the Son will take you and me and present us spotless and without blemish because we have been cleansed by the very blood of Jesus Christ. And oh, if we ever question, does he love us? The answer is, does he love the Son? And certainly... He loves the children who are the bride of Christ. That means he loves you and me. Let's pray. Thank you again, Lord, for the day. Thank you for your grace and mercy to us. 
And as we come this morning, may you guide and lead our lives. Thank you for the opportunity of being your children. Lead us, O Lord. If there's someone here this morning who is not certain that they're your child, may you speak to their heart very clearly at this moment in a manner which is so clear and understandable that maybe for the first time in their life they hear the voice of God in their heart. And for each of all of us here, may we rejoice today of the great love with which you have called us your children. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.